Man, uh, I've, I've shared my testimony before, so I'm not going to share that whole thing, but many of you guys know that it was Christmas of 87. That's 1987, not 1887, but Christmas of 1987. Uh, I, I, I drug my dad back to church where we had kind of, you know, I'd been kind of raised. I had a religion, but I never had a relationship with God. You know, God was kind of more like a lucky charm type thing. I'd get up to baseball bat, and, you know, and I'd say, all right, God, you're with me now. You know, when I'd hit, I'd do, I had, I had religion, so I knew about God, but I never had a real relationship with a living God. And the Holy Spirit began working in my life in Christmas of 1987. Had everything that a 25-year-old young man could ever want. Had a kite shop mile and a half east of Disney World. And, and just all kinds of cool stuff going on. But I was empty inside. And so the Holy Spirit began working and uh, thought I needed a new career. Moved, quit the kite shop and got out of my part of it. Went back to live with my dad on the west side of Orlando, a place called Crime Hills. How many of y'all are familiar with Pine Hills in Orlando? You live there too, right? Yeah, that's why we got that bond, bro. Yeah, they call it Crime Hills. Moved back in, went back to go get a degree as an architect. I was going to use my art for, you know, uh, making money. And the only way you could do that is an architect. So, man, all this is kind of going on. And um, in a wood shop, a Hungarian Jew that was born again, that never knew why God brought him here. He actually was the one who started studying the Bible with me, led me to the Lord. But it was during that time of Christmas 87 that I told my dad, I said, Dad, if I don't get anything else for Christmas, I want a Bible. I had never had a Bible in my whole life, man. In 25 years of life, I had never had a Bible. And I, like I said, I had religious upbringing, religious training, but the Bible just wasn't important in that system. And so, man, the Holy Spirit was working on my heart to get a Bible. And my dad's like, what, are you going to be a priest or something? I said, Dad, I don't know, man. And, and I got that Bible, and I'll never forget Christmas of 87, opening that Bible and just starting to read it fresh and new. Never read the Bible before, and I'll never forget how the Holy Spirit of God just started lifting words off those pages and giving me desires for things I never had desires for and taking away desires for things that I've always had a desire for. He was instantly changing my life, and he gave me one thing more than anything he gave me the confidence to know that this word of God was my final authority that I could invest the rest of my life in this book both learn learning it and then of course could have a big mouth sharing it with other people little did I know how much he was going to use that and, but it was for me that I could trust it and, and so if now I had a game book a playbook if you will now I had an instructions manual an owner's manual that I could now, if I knew what was in this book and I could apply it to my life, my life was going to be good. And, and I didn't even know about the whole eternal aspect at that point. I was just thinking about how to get through this life at that point. And, and, and then I learned I had something way better, which was eternal life that started immediately. And so I got that Bible and I surrendered my life as best I could to Christ. I didn't know about a sinner's prayer. I didn't have anybody else, any church people I went to to talk to, they couldn't give me anymore. Like, oh, you can't understand the Bible. Oh, you can't read the Bible. You can't. And I was just like, no, dude, I'm reading it. No, dude, I'm understanding it. And now I know it was the Holy Spirit of God making it alive in me. And I kept reading it, kept reading it. And he kept putting me in the right place at the right time to be with people that would help me understand it and be able to apply it to my life. And that's where I, I hung on a verse out of Jeremiah that said, if you seek God with your whole heart, you will find him. 
because I wanted God now more than anything in the universe because I was now finding, he gave me the ability to believe that he was the answer and the solution in all of that. So Christmas is really special for me because that's when I became born again. It wasn't even until June 27th of 1988, six months later, that I had somebody sit down with me at, at my house and, and this Hungarian Jew brought him over to my house. He was born again. He brought him to my house. He's like, hey, Fred. He's had this big beard. He go, hey, Fred, can I bring somebody to your house? And I'm like, well, what for? And he's like, to study the Bible. I'm like, yeah, man, anybody, everybody. Because I was going everywhere trying to feed this new nature that I had. And on this hassock, this cloth hassock that, man, I had smoked. I had spilled bong water on. I had spilled whiskey on. I had spilled cocaine on. I had done everything you could imagine on this hassock. Everything sinful and messed up that was trying, had sex, everything that you could imagine that would bring somebody satisfaction. And it didn't, man. It was empty. And I'll never forget June 27, 1988, getting down on my knees and praying and, receive, and, and, and saying, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and I want you to save me and be my new boss and I'm just surrendering everything I know about me to you right now. And from that point on, I was born again, man. And I don't know if your situation was that dramatic, but man, I hope you remember when you gave your life to Christ, when he changed your life. And so the last however many years it's been since then, <laughs> from Christmas 87 to to June of, of 88, when I now knew I had eternal life, man, because of what the scripture said, it's been a, a joy every day to learn new things that I have in Christ. How many of y'all are digging, learning new things you have in Christ every day? Man, if you are like, dude, I know everything I have in Christ, man, you need to dig in and start searching because everything he's putting you through today, he's allowing you to go through tomorrow. They're all situations where he wants you to see it from his perspective. In order to do that, you've got to be digging into the word, be in prayer and meditation with him and being with other believers and learning to see it from his perspective. And every day you'll be blown away by new things you have in Christ. So, man, as I was praying, I'm like, all right, should we go do the whole Christmas thing? I was at a pastor's uh, small group that I go to in West Palm. Uh, last week, and one of the pastors was like, well, are you guys all on, like, uh, the wise men with the star yet, you know, and I'm like, dude, you know, no, we're not there, bro, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, we're not, we're not a real theme-oriented following the church, this is our, Tom's singing, bro, that's our Christmas program right there, man, <laughs> way to go, Tom, <laughs> Where, yeah, oh, there he is, yeah, man, so, not that we don't preach it, just that, man, we gotta do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do in it, and not just follow a schedule, but as I was looking at Hebrews chapter 2 this week, God showed me some gifts that I received when I received Christ at Christmas. Because, man, what God brought us at Christmas was Christ. And so today, out of Hebrews chapter 2, um, that the little next section that we're going to be in, um, you, you, I'm gonna, I want to unwrap a few of these gifts. And Terry, if we only get to two of them, that's all good, man. We can do the rest later, next week, whatever, it doesn't matter. And... Uh, so what I got when I got Christ for Christmas, and uh, that's probably not even good English. How many of y'all are like teachers? Yeah, that's probably horrible, right? What I got when I got, I got it, <laughs> okay? So, so man, what I got when I got Christ for Christmas. Now to set this back up again, uh, the first two chapters of Hebrews is basically the writer of Hebrews is kind of saying, all right, dude, look, man, Jesus is better than the angels. 
And then the next section is going to say, Jesus is better than Moses, which <gasps> to the Hebrew people he's writing to are like, no, no, you know, we like Christ, but man, and, and then next he's, he's better than the law, and he's better than this, he's better than this. In other words, Hebrews is telling the Hebrew, the writer is telling the people that Jesus is better than anything and everything else. And that's what he's telling us. He's writing to born again believers who are of the Jewish faith that got born again, that are swaying away, being drawn away because of persecution. And because there's non-believing Jewish people there, he's preaching to them also. So he's just covering it, but it's written to Jews. Now you say, well, I'm a Jew. So, well, you are an adopted Jew. <laughs> You're in the family. And so we're all there and there's application for us. So in this last section that's telling us he's better than angels before we get to him being better than Moses, we see what we got when we got Christ for Christmas. How many of y'all got Christ for Christmas? You know, we were given Christ for Christmas. That's the Christmas present. And we got him. And this is what you got when you got Christ for Christmas. So we're looking at Hebrews 2, 9 through 18. It's up on the screen. This week, when I was looking at all the translations that we use, we use sometimes a New Living Translation, sometimes New King James, uh, sometimes the... Uh, well, this is the ESV today, and so there's some good, solid translations out there, and uh, this is where this one's come from, and yours, might, yours isn't going to mean anything different. It just may say it. I just thought this was the clearest here. The first thing I got when I got Christ, man, for Christmas is I got a substitute, all right? And uh, you know, that may not be exciting to you. How many of y'all are teachers? How many of our teachers ever been a teacher, were a teacher? How many of you were scared to take off because you didn't have a substitute? You were like deathly ill coming in, coughing on everybody, spreading pneumonia and everything else because you knew if a substitute, a wrong substitute came in, they were going to mess everything up for you, right? I mean, yeah, we have two, two married teachers right here. Yeah, you're terrified unless you have a real good sub. And so what a substitute's job is, is to come in and do something for us when we can't do it ourselves. And so usually it's a temporary sub, like, you know, you guys have a sub for maybe one or two days or something, or at least until you can hack it all up and get rid of it and it's all gone, you know, or you can do what, you know. Don't you guys just go to, like, Disney and stuff and hire a sub? No. <laughs> don't you all go really go party and just act like you're sick? You call it, hey, I'm really sick. All right, let's go. No, but, no, I know better than that. <laughs> so my wife, raise your hand, honey, all right, she, she's a full-time substitute teacher. Um, if you can imagine how you treated substitutes when you were a kid, she's a full-time sub, but she's tough, bro, just like Emily, man. And, uh, and so, uh, but, so she'll do like uh, pregnancy terms. The teachers will be pregnant, and they're out for a long time. And so she comes in, and she'll, what, what did I say? Oh, maternity leave. Yeah, dude. <laughs> when they're great with child, like Mary fixing the bus, boom. All right, so anyways, so she'll do that for a long time. But the substitute I got was not for a couple of days. The substitute I got was not for a maternity leave. Sorry, uh, you know, look at it, it's not there. But it, how long is my sub for? Forever. The substitute I got is forever. And the sub came in and did something I couldn't do. And let's take a look at what this is. And uh, it says in verse, uh, verse 9, which we looked at last week, but we're going to look at again this week because it goes with this whole section it said and if you remember the first part of chapter two it all talks about how we were created to be the boss but because of our sin we suffered a loss but jesus took care of it all on the cross that was our poor rhyme last week but but the idea is is that 
is that we were created to be the boss, to be in charge in the garden. But because of sin, we blew it. And God couldn't trust us to be the boss because we would use our sin nature to be the boss and mess things up, which is what we have done. And it, well, the curse came on the earth because this curse passed on all men. And every decision we make is imperfect. How many of you are perfect in all your decisions? Anybody? How many of y'all made a mistake this morning? Anybody make a mistake yet this morning? All right, good, good. And, and what's that? Except Al. Al is, yeah, Al's our almost perfect guy. That's right. And uh, you can ask his wife. She's not here. <laughs> but, but, yeah. We, when, before, when they were innocent, they could have made perfect decisions. They just listened to God and did what God said. But once they sinned, now they had a choice between you know, what God said and what they wanted to do. They had that sinful nature, and now they couldn't be trusted to always make the right decision. And so that has been passed down to all of us. And even Romans talks about the earth is groaning. How many of y'all know the earth is groaning right now? Do we not see that in the papers every day? Our oceans are groaning. Our earth is groaning. California is groaning on fire. Everything's groaning, waiting for things to be the way they were supposed to be again. You know? And so that's where, that's where we ended last week, that we were supposed to be the boss. But, and so what Christ did is he came on the cross and he made it possible for us to be the boss again. And we are going to be in charge. But it doesn't look that way now, does it? How many of y'all look at your relationship? Uh, how many of you husbands are like in charge? No, I'm just not so here. <laughs> you wouldn't even, yeah, yeah. Oh, you got guts, brother. <laughs> He's either got guts or he has got a special pad right here. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, God has called us to be the leader. He's called us to be, and God's going to hold us in charge. But the stupidest things you will ever do, guys, is go against your wife's counsel. Amen? amen. There you go. I redeemed you, bro. Right there. As long as you said amen. But that's true, man. So, so in this thing, it doesn't look like we're the boss. But in the millennial kingdom, next thing, Christ is coming back. There's going to be a tribulation period. The earth's going to be messed up. We're going to be in heaven with him. He's going to come clean house, and then for a thousand years, everything's going to be renewed. We talked about that last week. And we will be reigning forever with him after that. We are going to be reigning and ruling with him and, and in eternity. And we'll do it perfectly because we'll be able to do exactly what he wants us to do the way he wants to do it. You'll never be able to get in trouble again. And so the last thing we saw in verse 8 was, man, it doesn't look like that now, does it? And does it look like that now? No, not at all. So that's where we get this but in verse 9. He says, but we see him. And who is him? Jesus. He says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Okay, so you remember the hierarchy thing. There's God, there's angels, and then who's lower than the angels? Man, for right now. Because we're stuck on earth. Because we're, we're kind of not as supernatural as them. And, and, and they don't sin and we do. But one day when we lose that sin nature and we go to heaven, we will be higher than the angels again. We'll be co-heirs with Christ. So he goes on and says, but for a little while, Jesus became lower than the angels. Man, he created the angels. He rules the angels. He tells them what to do. He, he, he's just in charge of them. They worship him. They serve him. But for a little while, for our sake, he became lower than them. And it says, then because he was lower than them, he was crowned with glory and honor 
because of the suffering of death and so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. All right, and that's where we kind of ended last week, but I want to explain that, how he's our substitute. What happened was, is we're sinners, and if we die, and then, then we can go to hell, and we can pay for our own sins. But that's not what God designed. That's not what God wants. He gave us a choice so that we can choose him and love him. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. That's why we have a choice. They love the love that we give them. And what's the only way that we can show them love? Is by what? Obedience. By obeying them. And, but they knew that we weren't going to. They knew we were going to mess up. And so does that mean God now has to go back on his rules that, that sin doesn't have a penalty? Hey, does God hate sin? Yeah. Dude, God hates sin. He is the ultimate clean freak. Here's the deal. There's a penalty for sin. What's the wages of sin? What's the penalty for sin? Death. Okay, so if God would excuse sin, then he has to go back on what the penalty is, right? But, and and so, so that means all of us would die, and we'd all be separated from God forever and ever. But God's a God of love, so how can he love us and be separated with us forever or from us forever? He's, it, it's something that we can't solve. And so what God had to do was he had to become a substitute for us. God came up with a genius plan. He came up with a plan where he could uphold righteousness and show how much he hates sin. He actually hates it, and there's a penalty for it, and he's not reneging on that, but yet he's the one who loves us. And he showed us his love by saying, all right, I'm going to come, and I'm going to pay for this sin that you have done and I'm going to pay the ultimate penalty and price for this sin. And if you surrender yourself to me, you can have it applied to your life. That's what it means. It says, so by the grace of God, the gift of God, he got to taste death for all of us. He stepped in as our substitute, but not for a couple of days, not just for a pregnancy or a maternity leave. He stepped in as he stepped in for how long? Forever. I'm a sinner. I earned a free trip to hell. How many of y'all are sinners? Anybody here a sinner? All right, hold up your ticket, man. Hold up your ticket. One-way ticket to hell, right? Nobody wants to go there. So what happened is we can surrender ourselves to him. He takes that ticket. And when he was on the cross from noon till 3 o'clock, for those three hours, you remember what happened at noon? What happened at noon that doesn't happen at noon? Everything became dark and quiet and people were like, Shh, what's going on? It was at that time, because he was God, that he could take on all of the past, present, and future sins. The book of Isaiah says all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, were slammed on him during that time. That's why he cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had never called him God before. He'd always been Father, Abba, Father. And everything was put on him at that time. But he, he was our substitute for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. When you're, a, when you're out, can you teach your class? You need a substitute. <laughs> or they got to put all your class in with another one. And so they become the substitute. So when we can't do something, we need a substitute. And in reality, we can't pay for our own sins with the exception of dying and going to hell and being there forever. But then that would mess up why God created you. Because God created you to hang out with you, man. God loves you, and God wants you to be with him. That's why he went, so created this genius plan and suffered 
Look what it says back here before we move on. It goes on and says, but we see him for a little while who was made lower than angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory because of the what? Suffering. He suffered for us. Do you know what people, I mean, I'm not going to talk about hell a whole lot more in this We're gonna, when we get past this, but what, what do people say like sometimes about hell? They're like, oh, man, you know, I'm going to be with all my friends, you know, I'm going to be partying. No, dude, what's the S word here that's going to be constant in hell? Suffering. So for that period of time, somehow God was able to put all of that suffering, the penalty of, of sin on him, and he became our substitute. And so now we have a home in heaven. Anybody stoked about that? Dude, how good is that going to be? <laughs> That's going to be awesome. So number one, he became my substitute in all of this, all right, because of the suffering that he did, and it was by the grace of God. Uh, next thing, check this out. He became my inventor. Hey, why do you invent something? Who, who here likes to invent things besides me? All right, yeah, you like inventing things? Why do we invent things? Yeah, because we need it. Yeah, invention, what is that, the, the, the mother of necessity? Uh, yes, and then we need something, right? Yeah, why else? Oh, it's fun, okay. Yeah, to make it easier. Makes... No, to be, I think to be different. Okay. Yeah, make something better, for sure. Make something better, make something easier, make something that we need, okay? But check this out. We needed salvation, so he had to invent it. <laughs> He had to invent a way for that to happen. And that's what we see in Hebrews chapter 2 here. Look what it says. For it was fitting. Some people say, man, how could God the Father put God the Son through all of that excruciating suffering as a penalty for sin of everybody's past, present, and future sins? But the writer of Hebrews says it was fitting. It was appropriate. It was the best thing to be done. It was the right thing. For And look what it says. That he for whom and by whom all things exist. Did you get that? For whom. So everything in this world exists for who? For Christ, right? And everything exists because of who? Christ. He made everything and he made everything for him. So, hey, uh, Jackson, who made you, bro? Jesus. So who were you made for? You were made for him. Who were you made by? Amen. That little baby that's inside you right now, who made that? And who did he make it for? For God. Do you know something who made you, man? Are you positive? And what did he make you for? Did he make you to be a ballet, ballet dancer? By the way, you see that move? I could be your partner. Now, your dad's already got that, right? What did he make you for? He made you for him, right? So, dude, you guys understand when he made you, he made you for him. And so he had to create a plan that would allow you to be perfect in his eyes, to have your sin paid for, to be able to be with him. And be with him, not just here, but permanently, forever. Uh, when we come to this world, what's our nature? Our nature is to do what? Yeah. To sin. Hey, how many of y'all had to learn, uh, Elizabeth? Uh, hey, Carrie, did Elizabeth have to learn how to lie? Elizabeth, you've lied before, right? Okay, otherwise if you said no, you'd be lying right now. You lied. All right, so let's try this. Have you lied in the last week? Oh, we won't put you on the spot. We won't put you on the spot. But listen, man, um, you know how to lie, right? Did, did your parents have to teach you how to lie when you were little? Did they, like, sit you down and say, okay, now, here's the proper way to lie, all right? 
here's line 101. When you, next birthday, we'll go to line 202. And how many of you know people that have a, bat, a, match, a master's degree in lying? Lying, yeah. There's doctors of lying, all right? They have doctorates in that. And they did learn that, but you know what? The beginning of it all came as standard equipment, didn't it? We have a sin nature that we inherited, man, that separated us from God. And, and so while we're here on this planet, and when we go to the next one, the last forever, he had to make a way. He had to, was there already a way for salvation? I mean, are, can you just go like, you know, to the store and pick out whatever ingredients you want to be saved by? No, he had to come up with one that would satisfy his love for us and satisfy, satisfy his truth. There's truth in love, and that's what Jesus was the master of, that we're, master, we're supposed to be trying to master. Truth in love, and our pendulums swing. Sometimes, man, when I preach, sometimes, man, I feel like all I'm doing is beating you over the head with truth. And you say, oh, that might have been last week. <laughs> and then sometimes I feel like I'm over here trying to tell you how much Jesus loves you. Which one's right? Both of them. And he was the only one who could master truth in love. And that's why we need to read the whole counsel of God so that we can see that he was the only one that got it down right. And we can learn how to do that from us because there is truth. And if I don't tell you the truth, I don't love you. If I let you live in a lie, it's not a matter of just being sincere in this. Eric, if I hit you in the head with this chair, is it going to hurt? What if I'm sincere that it's not? If I truly believe I hit him in the head with this chair, I am as sincere as can be. I believe I'm so sincere that I can hit him in the head with this chair and it won't hurt him. Is it still going to hurt? Does it matter how sincere I am? No, what matters if I'm sincerely believing the truth. Do you want to try this out? No, no you're bigger than me, bro. And I can't run fast anymore. But seriously... It doesn't matter what you're sincere about if you're not sincere about the truth. You've got to have the truth, but the truth has to, be, has to have love. And the only place we can learn to balance those two things is in Christ. He had to invent a system that would satisfy it all. And so look what it says. It was fitting that Christ had to do this for whom and by whom all things exist. And bringing many sons and daughters, I may say, to glory. Do you know that he's the one who's brought us to glory? If you get to go to glory, it's because he's brought you. You did not get there on your own. And so it says, he should make the founder. Some of your versions might say captain. Okay, some of your uh, versions might say pioneer. But he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through, what's that S word again? Suffering. Again, he took our suffering for us. But look at this word founder. There's the word pioneer. It has the idea of a trailblazer. It has the idea of somebody. There's just this thick thicket. If there was no walkway there and there was just sea grapes and sand dunes and thorns and you wanted to get to the beach, man. How many of y'all want to go first? Who's my trailblazer in here? So let me see. All right, you'll go trailblazer. Terry, you're a trailblazer. Yeah, who else are trailblazers in here? Yeah, we got some trailblazers. How many of you want to follow a trailblazer? Yes, you're probably married to one, a trailblazer, right? Fernanda, you want to like follow a trailblazer, right? You'll let him blaze the trail. He'll be the blocking guy. But that's the idea. Christ had to blaze the trail to glory, blaze the trail to heaven for us. And it wasn't there. He had to invent it. He had to make it. 
and he has to maintain it. Because if he doesn't maintain it, it's not there for us. But let me ask you a question. Are we ever worried about this trail to heaven being overgrown and closed up? No, dude, because he's maintaining it. What if Ashley was maintaining it? Oh, dude, she's sick again this week. <gasps> you know, she's pregnant. She can't do anything. Let's get a substitute. No, it's like, what else? seriously, he can do it. Does he ever sleep? Does he ever slumber? What if you die in the middle of the night? Oh, no, the trail's closed. You know, it's like, no, it's always open. He invented this trail to heaven by his suffering, by taking on all our sins and suffering for us and paying for it. And he maintains that trail. In fact, what he does, when I go diving with Terry, Terry is like awesome at, he, he, he swims with one foot. He swims with one flipper. You know why? Because I'm holding on to the other one. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I haven't gotten that bad yet, have I? There's sometimes, especially when I dive in on my second dive and my computer's going beep, 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 beep. You're going to die. And I'm seeing skull and crossbones. And I know, dude, I'm all right. I'm just going to follow him. But Christ takes us by the hand is what it's talking about. He invented this trail, this system, this way to get us to heaven. And he is carrying us and leading us by the hand all the way through until we are in glory. And then we're going to be with him for how long? So is there a chance of getting lost in this? Man, never. There's a chance of getting lost around here if you decide, even as a believer, you just don't want to follow him. You just want to go do your own thing. And all of a sudden, you're like that kid in the middle of the mall. Anybody go to the mall yesterday? <laughs> I didn't see you there, but, dude, we did it, man. <laughs> you got to do it once a season, man. It was crazy. I lost sight of my wife, and I was scared. <laughs> we don't have a danger of that, man. We don't, are not in any danger of that once we give our life to Christ, man. And as soon as I call, he's there. But, man, i got to stay close. But in heaven, man, he's right there. Check this out. It was fitting that for whom and by whom all things exist, when invented everything, that in order to bring many sons and daughters to glory, he had to invent the way for us to get to heaven. So you can't invent your own way. Somebody doesn't invent their own way. He had to invent it, and he made it perfect through his suffering. And he's eternal, and we don't have to worry about getting lost in all of this. So the next thing that I found uh, when I gave my life to Christ in all of this, oh, dude, an artist. <laughs> I got an artist, man. How many are pretty stoked? How many of you are pretty stoked that Christ is, my, is your substitute? Anybody? How about the fact that he's your inventor? Which means, hey, if he's your inventor and you need something, do you got to figure out how to do it? He can invent it, and you stay so close to the one that knows everything that he promises, according to John 14, 26, that he'll take care of it. But I got an artist. I got someone creating. And let me ask you a question. And what? I'm putting you on the spot. And if you get it wrong, man, I'll just move real fast by you and act like you didn't even answer. But I know you're going to get this, man. What is his favorite sculpture to be working on? Us. Yeah. No, no, more specifically, the M word. Everybody say it. Me. me. Hey, so what is his favorite project to be working on? Me. Me. And what does he want to make me look like? Yeah. Him. He became me so I could become him. And so this process called sanctification 
is how while we're once we give our life to him and then between then and going to heaven in glory him making us look more and more like him and we start out as an old chunk of coal an old chunk of rock an old chunk of metal old chunk of whatever you want to be but check this out man he's our artist and look what it says for he who what's his next word sanctifies and those who are all have one source okay that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers and so what this means this word sanctify it means to set apart and what he's doing in the process of sanctification is making us look more and more and more like him how many of you look more like him than the day you got born again do you than the day you gave your life to him hopefully that's the definition of maturity is looking more and more like Christ, seeing things through his perspective and, and, and taking the things he's showing you and implementing your life. But how many of you have had to go through some tough processes to look like him? How many of you have you had to, maybe there's an illness, maybe there was a financial situation, maybe there was jail, maybe there was, how many of y'all went through something tough to become a little more like him? Yeah. And so you come out as this big chunk of something and he's like, oh, my goodness, raw material. Yes, I love it. I love it. But what does he start doing? He whips out the chisel and the hammer, right? Hey, Tom, you ever had him whip out the chisel and the hammer? How's that feel? Yeah, because in the harder you are, the harder he's got to hit. <laughs> I want to be Play-Doh. That's what I want to be. But most of the time, I'm stinking granite. I don't know about you. It's like, man, please, let me be moldable. Let me be soft. And he's like, yeah, too, like, ching, ching. And he's putting me through things. But if I realize it's for my good. And I realize that it's for his glory. And it's for me to become more like him. And he's an artist, beautifully making me into, hey, does God make junk? No. So what is that word for art? Hey, hey, uh, Mike, what's a word for art when you've just achieved it? It is a ma masterpiece. Yes. Dude, a masterpiece. Every one of you are his masterpiece, man. But you know what happens? I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't like being hammered on. Sometimes I've been hammered on by him, and I don't see it from his perspective, and I put up with it, and I'm all right. Now he breaks out the sandpaper. And what sandpaper does he start with? Does he start with the fine stuff or the rough stuff? Yeah, dude, the one ply, man, the 80 grit, the, the 40 grit, you know, and then the 80 grit. And before he can get to the 240 and the 1,000 grit, man, I'm jumping off the easel. Anybody ever jump off the easel and not let him try to finish his work? And then what does he do? He lets you wander, and then he brings you right back to the easel. And he's like, wow, you got, man, I got to fix some things that you messed up while you were off my easel. Chick, 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 like, oh, if we would just learn and stay in his will and stay on the easel, man, it would be a lot less painless and the process would go so much quicker. And it would be so much better for our good and for his glory. But as humans, we make those wrong decisions, man, and we keep jumping off. But look what it says, man. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source. That's him. This, that is why he is not ashamed to call us brothers. So, hey, have you ever painted? Who's ever make, made a piece of art and then you showed it to somebody and they were like, oh, yeah, okay, you know. <laughs> you put it on Facebook and everybody's like, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> you know. How many of you ever made something and then you realize after you made it, it wasn't all that great? 
But how many of you ever made something that you were stoked about? You didn't really care what anybody else thought. Anybody? You know it was good. And you're showing it off like, yeah, look at this. This is a masterpiece. And I don't even care what you think because you know what? The world doesn't think much of Jesus' masterpieces, does it? Do they? <clears throat> it looks totally different than what they're trying to chisel out and sand out and sculpt out. And when we become like Christ, man, they're like, that's just not their style. They're not hanging that in their house. But guess who loves it? He does. And guess what? He's going, he's over here and he's, Eric, look, Eric, look at Eric. <laughs> look what I made. Look at this. Look at this. Or, or you know, how many of y'all are going to give something homemade for Christmas? <laughs> and you're going to be watching as they open it and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah I made that. Y'all know, you know. That's him. That's, and that's our next thing because and not only does the artist make us, but look what else he does. He's not only my artist, but he's my promoter. He's my promoter. I don't promote myself. I promote him. But he's proud of me is what I want you to see in this next section. We're not a piece of art that he basically sends to goodwill and it gets repurposed into something else. We're a masterpiece. He's proud of us. And even while we're in process, when he looks down on us, he sees the process. But what does he also see? What does every artist see? The yeah, the end product, man. He sees the end product. And the end product, what do we look like? Who do we look like? We look like him. And we're going to look like him when we go to heaven. We just may not look like it right now. He's working on that. And so he's my promoter. Check this next part out. Verse, uh, uh, verse 12 saying, I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Uh, this is out of uh, uh, Psalm 22. But in the context here, he's talking about us. Again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. You go back and you look at that in the context of this, what he said with the previous verse, what he's saying is, man, this is my brother. I made, I made, a, I made this guy. I've been molding him. He's me. He looks like me. He's, I'm, I'm shaping him into the image of me. And I'm proud of him. He promotes you. And who does Jesus promote you to first and foremost? God the Father. Yeah. He promotes you to God the Father. Man, who else do you need to be promoted to? You know, that's why he said, man, hey, you guys want to promote yourself? You want to go pimp yourself out in this world? You want to go spin how great you are and tell everybody? He said, man, you just got your reward. You just got your reward. Do things that the Father sees, and then your reward comes when? Later. In a place that lasts forever. And the reward's going to be way better, guys. And so Jesus, I just want you to know, Jesus don't make junk. He's shaping you into the image of him. And he loves you just the way you are. And he sees you how you're going to finish up. And he, look, you know what he's doing to the angels? They say, don't worry, Sam. He's telling, you know what he just did, Sophie, just now? He was like, hey, look, get, get, he's got an angel. He's like, that girl, Sophie, she loves me. <laughs> and and I, she's getting shaped in the image of me. Man, and, and her mom and her dad, oh my goodness, they're not perfect, but they're working on it. And I'm working on them. The big one, I got to hammer a little harder, but dude, it's coming. It's coming. I want you to see it's like a time hop from Facebook. Look at last year and the year before. It's like, and there, he's up there in heaven. He's bragging on you. You're his brother, you're his sister, only because of our new nature. Only because of that new nature if we're born again. He loves you and he's proud of you. 
You ever feel worthless in this world? You ever feel meaningless, like you don't mean anything to somebody? I don't ever want you to feel that way again because Jesus is promoting you. You're not worthless to him, man. He paid everything for you, and he's proud of you. He loves you, and he's promoting you all the time. The angels are partying, man, it says, when you're doing good things, when you're coming to him, when a new person comes to him, they're partying. So he says, man, behold, I am the children God has given me, man. He's like, I'm pretty stoked about those guys. Let's move on real quick. And, uh, oh, dude, the next thing. How many of y'all get afraid? Anybody get afraid? This world's scary, isn't it? I mean, dude, what if that little dude, Rocket Man from Korea, would, like knocks on your door? Would you be afraid? <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, there, there, there's people out there that are scary, right? This world's scary. But you know what I got when I got Christ for Christmas? I got a security guard. <laughs> I got a security. How many of y'all, that's good news that you got a security guard? You don't have to be afraid. What was the VeggieTales song? Anybody know it? God is bigger than the, help me, God's bigger than the boogeyman. How many of y'all know that song? Okay, prove it by singing it. No, I'm just not so <laughs> Dude, I'll never forget that song. My kids are growing up, man. God is bigger than the boogeyman. Yeah, it's an awesome song. If you don't know it, look it up, bro. It, it, it'll make you laugh. It's good. Gary, you're going to look it up for your mom, right? All right, yeah, because all three of y'all, a, a, a trio next week while we're eating breakfast, all right? I got it figured the boogeyman. We're looking for that one. He's my security guard. He took the scariest thing in the world and he eliminated it, which means he can eliminate everything else. Is there a better security guard than him? Not a chance. Check this out now. He's my security guard. Look at verse 14, 15, 16 here. It says, since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise partook of the same thing. Okay, so he became a human. He suffered, died for us, that through death he might... What's the next word? Destroy. Hey, what does it mean to destroy something? Yeah, if I were, if I were to... Well, my wife said I couldn't destroy the bat. Oh, if I were to destroy this, is this destroying it? No. Is this even destroying it? No, dude, I would have to burn this and then destroy the ashes. Destroy means to do what? Obliterate. Obliterate, get total rid of, make it where it doesn't even exist. It's not a problem. And so it says that through his death, through his suffering and then Jesus dying, that he destroyed the one who has the power of death. Who's the one who has the power of death? The devil. Death means separation. The wages of sin is death, separation between God and us forever and ever and ever and ever. And it says that through his death and through his suffering, he destroyed the power of death. There is no power in death. He said, that is the devil. Look at the next part here. And he delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Check that out. If you have ever been afraid to die... If you were scared because you were going to die, you were scared of something because it was going to kill you, man, you're, you know what? The fear of death, the fear of death can keep us from doing things God wants us to do. And it may not be physical death. It may be financial death. Some of you aren't going to step out and do something for the Lord because you don't know how he's going to pay for it. It could be, it could be uh, um, um, societal. What's the word? In society, you could totally kill your status. You know, it could be death of your status because I'm not going to do that for the Lord because if I do that, man, it's going to ruin my reputation. 
Everybody's going to think of me this way. There's so many kinds of death, but he destroyed every bit of that. Through, and, and if you are not doing something because you're afraid of something dying, then you're a slave to that death. You're a slave to the fear of that death. And look what happens. He goes on and says, surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of which we're adopted into that. So here's the thing. What's the worst thing that can happen to you on this earth? You. But what happens when you die? Where are you going? Do you believe that? I'm going to heaven. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to get maimed. I don't want to get the bends either. Dude, we're nitrogen bubbles kind of bubble in every one of my joints and explode. If I'm going to do that, just let me die. I'm going to heaven. All right? <laughs> but seriously, think about that. There's no penalty for death. There's no, death is nothing. What is the, in the New Testament, what is the word they use so often for death? Help you out. Sleep. Now, let me ask you, how many of y'all went to sleep last night? Anybody go to sleep last night? Okay. And if you slept last night, when you went and laid down, did you say, well, this is it. <laughs> All right. Did I do everything I wanted to do in life? <laughs> Did I turn the burner off? Is, is there anything in the fridge? Did I leave everything good for the kids when they find me? And, you know, everything written down, all the instructions, and, and you went to sleep, never expecting to wake up, right? Is that, how many of y'all did that? Did you realize it was a possibility? Yes, it always is, but none of us anticipated. We go to sleep, and we anticipate doing what? Yeah, sometimes earlier than we'd like to be. And brrr, there it is, we're woken up. There's no accident he calls that death in the New Testament, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, if you're a believer. But do you know that you are going to live somewhere way longer than you've ever lived on this earth? And there's only two places, heaven or hell. He's not talking about hell here. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about if you're a born again believer, the minute your body stops right here, your soul goes to heaven. And you are, uh, there, there's no, no soul sleep, there's no purgatory, there's nothing in between. The instant that you leave this body is the instant you're with Christ, with him. Dude, how many of you do not want to go on an all-expense-paid trip to paradise? You're like, no, keep me here. I'd rather have tubes and breathing. I'd rather, I'd rather suffer here on this planet. I'd rather. You know what? If that's the case, I think you got a little too much connection to this planet. A little too much love for this world. Or you don't have enough experience with him and enough knowledge about where you're going. Dude, just read the last two chapters of the Bible and tell me you wouldn't be ready to just bolt right now. Right. Just read them. And again, I know there's nobody digging life more than me here on this planet. I'm digging it because I know what he wants me doing here. And I'm going to live it to the fullest, man. Man, I, if I burn out, I get to go quicker. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm using it. What did Paul say? To live is... Christ, right? He said to live is Christ. For me to live, everything about me is Christ. To live is Christ, but to die is... Yeah, you know what that means? To die is better is what he said. That's what Paul said. To live is Christ, but for me to die, it's way better. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you know what? Death has no hold on you, man. Death has no fear on you. You're not afraid. You're read whatever he wants, because you know when you die, it's going to be better. And you can only know that if you have Christ. So, man, you know what? I got a security guard. 
Now, that does not mean I'm going to go down in the hood in Fort Pierce, down the avenues, and I'm going to go rival some gangs and try to sell some drugs with, against them. I'm not, I'm not going to be stupid. I'm not going to tempt him and test him. But I know that as I am following him, doing what he wants me to do, I don't have to be afraid. And I've had some pretty cool situations that he's put me in. <laughs> that, that, man, I, if I didn't have this, man, I'd, be, I'd have been terrified. Man, I got to tell you this story, dude. <laughs> we were doing, man, I don't know. I just think, just because God's put this in my heart, but, man, one time I, I, I spent a lot of time in Jamaica back in the day, and um, as a pastor, <laughs> all right, not as, not in my old life, all right, but, um, man, we were doing a couple of vacation Bible school early in the morning, and I had a group of probably about maybe 16 kids with me and, and adults and, you know, all of that. And we would do a vacation Bible school in the morning. And I remember the afternoon Bible school, we were going to a place called Sandy Bay. Um, I think that's what it was, Sandy Bay. And when we got there, man, there were every, we noticed that every single person in that community carried a knife with them. And not a machete like they do in Haiti, cut cane and all that. This was like a personal knife, steak knife. Even the little kids, like younger than Sophie, man, like your little sisters all had steak knives tucked in their pants and everything. And I was asking, you know, why do they have steak knives? They're like, well, because they have to use them. You know, I was like, oh, well, oh, okay, y'all got steak. No, I'm like, but they, they, they had to use them for protection and stuff. And I'll never forget where the first day we're there, we give the kids stuff for VBS, Vacation Bible School. And as soon as they walked out, the bigger kids who were the gangs in that area, Sandy Bay, the, the gang kids, man, would steal stuff from all the kids coming out of vacation Bible school. We're like, hey, and then we saw they had big knives, and we were like, okay, and we started praying, and God was removing all that fear and saying, man, we gotta do something because this whole community's paralyzed in fear. But we're just a bunch of stupid Americans. We could blow this off and be out of here in a few days and just forget it, wipe off, but that's not what God brought us to do. And so, anyways, there was more stuff. So they started now, as soon as our bus came, they started kind of trying to intimidate us and circle us. And so um, we were really praying about this in our nightly devotions. God, what are we going to do about this? And I'll never forget, we got there early one day, about Wednesday, because this went on two days, third day. Man, we get there, we got there early, and we were just going to pray all the way around. These guys weren't going to be there. That was our game plan. We do it while nobody was there, and we just prayed all around the campus. That's what we were going to do, all around this whole area. Well, guess what? We get off the bus, and there were the gang people. <laughs> so I'm like, they're like, what do we do? And I said, we're going to pray, man. <laughs> so we just start praying, man. We start praying. I got my eyes closed, and they're just following me, all these people. And I'm just praying, man. The Holy Spirit's just working, and we're praying in circles. And all of a sudden, what I realized, there was this metal shed, and the gang was all up against this metal shed, and my whole group had this, per this gang group in a circle all around the metal shed, like on the one side of it. So they're all there, and we're all here, and we're just praying, and we open our eyes, and we see we have them circled. <laughs> we're like, oh, <laughs> they're like circling a gray white. Awesome, what are we going to do now? <laughs> you know, take pictures while it lasts. <laughs> so, and, and so we're all circling, and we're like, in Jesus' name, amen. And we're looking, we're like, ooh. <laughs> and, and I'm right there next to the shed. And so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to pray again. <laughs> that worked well we had. So I close my eyes. I'm like, and God, will you just show yourself real to these people? 
God, will you show them how mighty and awesome you are and how we don't have to fear them and they don't have to be afraid of what they're afraid of and care they're not. And I'll never forget. And I said, if you have to throw thunder and lightning down, and I hit the shed, and it sounded like lightning, and everybody jumped, dude, because I'm like, I was praying. Everybody jumped. I didn't do that theatrically, man. God's Holy Spirit did it. I never heard a shed reverberate like that. And the whole gang, they're like, woo! And, and, and I said, in Jesus' name, amen! You know, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was like, dude, this is real stuff, man. They were knives, and we didn't, and we should have after the first day, but anyways, but we had prayer, and so we started walking off, and I promise you, this was so stinking awesome. God brought, they start moseying that way, we're moseying this way, and both of us are trying to figure out what we're going to do next. What's happening next? God brought a storm cloud, an Armageddon storm cloud. I have to this day not seen a shelf cloud like this. He brought it, and it was coming. And there are, my kids are like, hey, are we going to take these guys out for VBS today? I'm like, yeah, man, we're doing good. You know, I'm all fired up for Jesus. And they're like, yeah, we'll get. And, and this cloud just lingered and huddled. And we get the kids out for VBS. All of a sudden, this cloud came. And I promise you, this cloud separated us from them. <laughs> These guys were all along the wall by the, by the little forest, and a cloud came, and the cloud went there, and the cloud came down, and there was thunder, and there was lightning. I promise you, this was not some normal, you know, radar-reading cloud, man. And this bat, it was thunder, and these guys disappeared into the bushes, into the brush, and my team, we're like, because you've seen it rain in Florida, right? Y'all have seen it rain in your front yard, not your backyard? That's what I'm talking about, bro. But I am talking Armageddon storm cloud between us, chasing them into bush. And my group, we're just sitting there looking like, oh. I want snow. We prayed for this. We prayed for this, but we didn't believe God was going to do it. You know? We prayed for it, and we saw God work in that way. What an awesome thing. And you know what? I guarantee you, you check out any of those kids who are on that trip on Facebook and ask them about it, they'll tell you. And they know if they can remember that, they've got the fear of God in them, and they know God can protect them. Sandy Bay, Jamaica, dude. I got more stories, too, but we ain't got time for that because it's, uh, yeah, I got to finish this last part. But God wants me to tell you that story, and I hope somehow that's going to encourage you. God wants to do things so supernatural that only he could get blamed. But we could have all gotten knives that first day. We could have got bigger knives because we had more money, and we could have got machetes. We could have brought the police with us. But it was important for God to be able to do that. We had to pray night after night, praying, shaking in our flip-flops, man. What do we do, God? And he keeps telling us, but as we do it, then he gets to do something so supernatural and he can get blamed. But man, you can't be afraid to follow him. Whatever he's asking you to do, man, that's what you do. If we knew how it was going to turn out, would it require faith? No. And that's the only way Hebrews later is going to tell us we can please him is through faith. So he's not only setting up the opportunity for us to please him, but he's going to give us the faith to be able to do it. If we'll just implement it, if we'll just accept it. So a man said, man, you know, as your security guard, he said, surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Look at the next thing real super quick. He's my attorney and my judge. <laughs> he's my attorney and he's my judge, man. How would you, uh, uh, so we'll, we'll read this first. It says, therefore, 
He had to be made like us, like his brothers, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Everybody say propitiation. propitiation. Yeah, when's the last time you used that word, man? <laughs> uh, propitiation. And, and, you know, that's just a common word. You, 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 does, does she ever propitiate you? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. No, no, listen, listen. <laughs> propitiation. You know what this word means? This word means to basically appease a king, appease a judge. It means that the judge is there saying, this person's guilty. This person has severely messed up, and there is a penalty, and, and I am the judge going to assign this penalty for them. And the only way that it can be solved is by, them, by propitiation, by them doing what is required for this. So what it's telling us is that Christ was our propitiation. Christ basically is our judge. So he's the one saying this is sin. And the wages of sin is death. And the only way you can pay for this sin is by death, eternal separation from me. But I'm also your attorney. And I'm now working a deal with the judge. <laughs> Because that's how it's worked. I'm going, to work, I, I'm going to work a deal with the judge. And you know what? The judge, God the Father, says that if I die on a cross with no sin, then I can be a substitute for you and I can pay for your sins. So in other words, what it means is that our attorney, which is Christ, worked out a deal with the judge, which is himself. And he also paid the price. He was actually the prisoner that paid the sentence. He was all of that. But what we also have in that right now, there's an accuser. Who's the accuser that's always up in heaven right now saying, dude, did you know what Tom did last night? Do you know what Tom's thinking right now? Hey, uh, same with some of you guys. Again, I tell you, I, I, know, I know what it's like to sit in church with lights on, nobody's home, you know, and pastor thinks you're listening, right? You know, some of you are just like, no, <laughs> but the, so who's the accuser that's always accusing us right now? Satan. Every moment he's up there, do you see what Gary did? Hey, did you see what Roger did? And, and God's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> he did it. Is he lying about us? Nope. How many of y'all How many of y'all live so righteously that the devil has to make up lies about bad things you're doing just to accuse you? <laughs> that, I, I give him all the material he needs unwillingly. I don't want to. But you see, sin is not just doing the wrong thing. It's not doing the right thing. Whenever I'm not doing the right thing, I'm doing the wrong thing. And so when Satan's coming to God accusing me, he doesn't even have to lie. He's like, do you see Eddie? And God's like, yep, I saw that. Do you see what he, do you know what he's, you know what he's doing? Yeah, I know what he's doing. I know, yeah, and I even know what he's going to do. <laughs> and then we have an attorney there defending us, which is Christ. And he's going, yeah, you know what? I know, I saw that. And he's guilty as sin. He is guilty for doing this, but guess what? I already paid the price. I already did the time for the crime. And so he's innocent. He's my attorney. He's my judge. And he's doing that all the time. That's what I got for Christmas when I got Christ. And then last but not least, he's my handyman. Hey, living near the beach, what happens to junk? It breaks. <laughs> How many of y'all notice living by the beach, stuff breaks way quicker than it does living inland? Yes. It rusts. It gets weak. It breaks. How many of y'all got more projects than you think you can get done right now? Yeah. That's, that's me, too, and I live four miles inland as a crow flies, right? But you're on vacation, right, Mike? And, and what are you doing? Rebuilding a bathroom. Then i got to get to the garage. Then i got to get... Yeah, dude, you got the whole project list going of stuff that needs to be fixed. 
And, and, and do you have the time to do all this? Well, sword, you hope. By the time it's time to leave, by the time the kids get here, hopefully it's all finished. How's that going so far? Are you right on schedule? Yeah, you stop fishing, right? Yeah, it's like sometimes you can't get caught up. How many of y'all run into projects where you just don't know what to do, so you do something? <laughs> yeah. And he's, Christ is our handyman. And let me ask you a question. Is there anything that's broke that he can't fix? No. Even if Jack breaks it? Dude, you, you break things good, don't you, man? It, can you break something so good that God can't fix it? No, you can't, bro. I'm telling you, you can't. You know, y'all still married, right? Tied a good knot? All right. I saw Buckwheat, man. Y'all slayed him, huh? Right on. All right. Look at this. And this is our last thing. We're going to end on this. It says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted. Okay, later we're going to see a verse in chapter 4 that says that he was tempted in every way that we're tempted, but he never sinned. So he's got experience. He understands everything we're going through. It says, because he himself has suffered when being tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so what that means, and in fact, that word help those, that word help in the King James is the word secour, which means run to the cry of a crying child. You know what? Can you identify with that? You're in your room and Keanu, ah! what do you do? You run to go see what you can get to him, especially when he's when you know he needs your help, right? Hanging from the bunk bed, you know, something like hanging from the ceiling fan, whatever. <laughs> Seriously, but so what it means is that because he came as a human to identify with us and he suffered in every way that we were suffer we suffered, was tempted in every way that we've been tempted and, and more because he took on all the past, present, and future sins of the world. He took on more sin than you're going to ever experience in your life because he took all of ours on. Because he's got experience and power and ability from doing all of that, what does it say? He is able to help those who are being tempted. If it's broke, he can fix it. He's my handyman. Anybody ever have a broken life? Anybody ever have a broken dream? You ever have broken hopes, a broken future? You ever have a broken day? <laughs> you ever have a broken week, Ashley and JJ? Yeah, where'd last week go? <laughs> you ever have a broken bank account? You have a broken car? <laughs> you know, everything comes into our life by God's design. And what he wants to do is he wants us to see it from his perspective of why that's there. We know it's there to stretch our faith. We know it's there so he can give us faith. And as we use that faith, we please him because it's only by faith that we can, that we can please him, he says. And so it's all for him. And so he's not going to give us anything that he's not going to be able to give us the solution for and the resources for. But what if Milt, what if you try to do it all on your own? Yeah. What if you realize it comes from him and he's got you in this and you think he's going to be really proud because I grunt my way through this? Is, that, is he going to be more proud of you that way or than if you trust him? Yeah. It's only by faith that we can please God. And so God gives us these impossible situations for the purpose of pleasing him. He allows our lives to be broken by the curse, by the sinful decisions we make, the messed up things that we encounter, but it's only so he can show himself strong. He's the ultimate handyman. 
And can anything, man, look, your pavers, dude, you got them all straight, and then we got a hurricane. And Nettles Island, right there on the water. I love your pictures in the morning. And I felt for you when the hurricane came because I knew where everything was going to be. <laughs> Is your house so broke that he can't fix it? He'll fix it. But in his time and in his way, no matter what's broke in your life, man, if you'll do it his way and his, with his will, you'll do it with his power and his presence and from his perspective, man, he will fix it. He's the ultimate handyman. So here again... Uh, to show you in this what we've got, I got a substitute. I got an, he's my inventor. He's my artist. He's my promoter. He's my security guard. He's my attorney and judge, and he is my handyman. And he's all of those things, and that's just scratching the surface for who he is. Let's bow and pray. <coughs> Father, um, I know this is what you wanted me to see. And I know that each of these seven things in this last section of Hebrews 2 are things that I'm going to need today and tomorrow and probably the rest of my life, but especially right now. You say when we learn something, we hear something, we, we're generally going to, I know from experience, we're generally going to have an opportunity to apply it within 24 hours. So, Father, I pray that as each person experiences what they experience in life today and tomorrow, that you would take this word that you've given, not by the presentation, but the word that's perfect, and you would bury it in each person's heart. You'd help them remember the illustrations, but your Holy Spirit would give them the power to apply it to their lives. Father, I pray for each person that has something broken. Father, that they would be able to count on you as the handyman in your way and in your time to fix things. Father, I pray that as they are guilty uh, and accused rightly so of doing things that are against you, that they would remember that you are their attorney and that, and that you are also the judge. And if they have the blood of Jesus covering them, that in your eyes they are perfect positionally. But practically speaking, um, you're forgiving them every day. And I pray they would just continually have communication with you, repenting, turning around, agreeing with you that they're wrong and you're right so they can be close to you. Father, I pray for all of those that are afraid of something right now, which is all of us. It's a scary world. We encounter people out there that don't know you that are afraid. We'd be able to tell them because we are reminded that you're our security guard and that death has no hold on us whether it's death of a dream, a vision, a hope, or physical death. Man, death has no power over us. And Father, um, when we're tempted to promote ourselves because we feel insignificant in this world, Father, help us just to promote Jesus. And knowing that Jesus is proud of us and Jesus is promoting us to you constantly. Father, um, when we're getting chiseled on and sanded and shaped and it's not comfortable. The situations we know are, are, are there by your design to make us look more like you. Help us to remember the purpose of them and not the pain associated with them. Help us to remember that the end product is, is gonna be something way better than what we have right now. That you as the artist are turning us into the masterpiece that you already know what it's gonna look like. You've seen the finished product. And Father, help us to be that masterpiece so that we can represent you well here. 
And Father, thank you for inventing salvation, inventing a way to perfectly display your mercy and truth and upholding your law, but being able to love us. And I pray, Father, that as we recognize that in our own lives, that, Father, we would be able to come up more with that balance of grace and truth, mercy and truth, that we would be loved, but love people enough to tell them the truth, but we would tell people the truth enough, but to be able to love them. Help us come up with that true balance, because that's so hard in this world. And thank you so much for being our permanent, eternal substitute, especially for eternal life and taking our place and paying for all our sins so that we don't have to do that in hell. Thank you for being our God and loving us. And I pray, Father, that if there's somebody here that's never given their life to Christ, never surrendered themselves and, 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 and asked you to take over their life, I pray that you would give them a desire and ability to do that right now, a desire they can't refuse, and they would surrender themselves to you. And at that moment, know that because of what you did on the cross, they would have eternal life, and they would have you living inside of them right now, performing all of these functions and many more. But Father, I pray that you would give them a desire to do that. And for those of us that have, you give us a desire to appreciate and use those more. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.